0: Well, good morning. Uh, Do open up that passage and keep it in front of you if you're able to. It's uh, Genesis chapter 1, the very first words of the Bible. Uh, A few years ago, I went out walking for the day in the Peak District. I was on my own. Uh, It was a little bit of a chilly day, but it was a beautiful one where you could see for miles. And at one point, I found myself on top of a hill uh, with uh, a great view spreading out before me. Uh, And I I even noticed uh, just a few meters away and at the same height that I was standing at, uh, a bird of prey, a red kite, just holding there. And uh, there was no one else around. And I was moved uh, just to to yell uh, into the wind, My Father created all of this. Uh, No one else could hear uh, what I was saying. uh, But I was just reminded so strongly of the goodness of God's creation. And of course, it's the very first thing that the Bible tells us, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we can't help notice, and I'm sure you heard it as Brian was reading through the chapter there, uh, that again and again, seven times in Genesis chapter 1, God tells us that it is good. It is very good. But of course, as we look at the world, that does beg a further question, doesn't it? Uh, If everything that God has made is so good, then we look around us and ask, well, why is the world like it is? When people are fighting, when the ice is melting, when the virus is spreading and when fear is looming, how did that happen in God's good world? Well, that's one of the reasons why it's so helpful for us as Christians to go back to the beginning. Um, This series over the next few weeks, we're calling it Beginnings for our morning services and for our home groups too to have a look at these things. We're going to be focusing on these first three chapters of the Bible because they're hugely significant for the rest of the story that follows. Almost everything else that's in the Old Testament will pick up on themes that are set here. When we get to the New Testament, uh, we find them quoted and alluded to by Jesus and by his apostles in all kinds of different books. And as the starting point for the Christian faith, they help us to answer some really big questions. Big questions like this. Uh, Who is God? Uh, What is he like? Uh, Who are we? What does it mean to be human beings? And why is the world the way it is? But we need to start with God. And so our focus today is going to be mainly on the first one of those three questions. And our heading for today is this. uh, Our God is bigger and he is greater than we think. Now I know we live in a society that seems to be getting less and less religious, don't we? Uh, But where nevertheless uh, many people... Uh, Perhaps even most people still think of themselves as spiritual in some way. Uh, Maybe because I'm a vicar, uh, people it seems quite often tell me that they believe in God. Uh, Maybe it's because I wear one of these, I don't know. Uh, And when someone says that to me, one of the things which always comes to mind is to reply, that's really interesting. Uh, Who is this God that you believe in? And I say that because while lots of people do believe in God, some believe in many gods, quite often when they describe their God, it turns out to be very different from the God that we find in the pages of the Bible. Well, Genesis chapter 1 gives us our first glimpse of what our God is actually like. And the first thing that the Bible tells us about God is that he is eternal. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He's always been there and he created everything that there is out of nothing, as Lizzie reminded us. Now those are two things that simply boggle our minds, aren't they? Uh, We simply cannot imagine nothing. Even if we try, we end up thinking about space or about darkness or, or something like that. But we can't think of nothing. To me, Uh, Sometimes things that happened last week feel like they happened an eternity ago, let alone last year. Uh, When I think back to the 1990s or the 1980s, they seem to get increasingly fuzzy. Sometime in, I guess, about 1973, I've got something that I could call my first memory. And sometime shortly before that, I began. But God didn't begin. Uh, He was always there, unchanging, unchanging always God. He doesn't come into existence. He simply is. There was nothing there before, but God was there. He is an eternal God. That's the first thing. Uh, The second thing about God is that he is Trinity. Uh, Glenn Scrivener puts it like this. Here in Genesis 1, there is a speaking God expressing himself through his word and bringing life through His Spirit, uh, John chapter 1, which we heard at the beginning of our service, makes it clear that this word of God who was there in the beginning is none other than Jesus himself. And when we get to verse 26 and the creation of humans, what God says is, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He doesn't say let me make uh, in my image. It's the same God that we find there in verses 1 to 3. The God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is so important. And it's completely amazing. Uh, And it's something which often scares quite a lot of people. This idea of the Trinity, it seems complicated and difficult. Well, I guess what would we expect from an eternal God in one sense? Uh, Maybe we'd rather not think about it. We try to illustrate it with something simple, like the parts of an egg or ice, water and steam or a shamrock leaf or something. Please don't do any of those things, by the way. Uh, They tend to cause more confusion than giving us help. Uh, But the fact that God is singular, he is one God, and yet three persons, is hugely important and significant. For one thing, it means he is far closer to being a family than some kind of impersonal force. If you think of God as a force, then uh, something is not quite right. He is the Father eternally loving the Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is mind-boggling, but it's brilliant. And it's brilliant most of all because it means that right from the beginning, from all eternity, he has been all about relationships. Uh, Long before he made anything, Uh, He has been in this relationship of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means in practical terms is that he is not needy. He's not a God who who needs to create, whether it's animals or people or anything else, so that he can have someone to talk to. No, he has all the relationships, all the love that he needs. And when he creates people, he does it so that he can, out of his generosity, invite us to join in with those relationships of love. We often say God is love, don't we? Uh, John says it in the New Testament. And it's a statement which makes complete sense, only because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The third thing about God is that he created everything by his power. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Everything that there is, simply spoken into being. That is God's power. Uh, It seems here in verse 2 that the creation has two stages. First of all, he made the universe as a whole. And then from verse 3 onwards, he gives form to what was first shapeless and empty. And there is a pattern to the rest of the chapter here over the next six days of Creation. It seems that God divides his work into two broad tasks, forming and filling. Forming his creation and filling it with life. So the first three days are all about giving form to what was formless. Uh, God brings order to his creation. He creates night and day on day one. There's the, the oceans and the sky on day two. The continents and the islands on day three. It's all about organizing, dividing, uh, and structuring what there is. And then on days four, five, and six, it's about filling uh, the sun and the moon on day four to give light to the day and the night. Uh, by the way, I, I love that little aside at the end of verse 16. I don't know if you noticed it, where it just says, he also made the stars. You know, all, however many trillions there are spread over how many galaxies. Oh, yeah, he also made those It's the birds and the water creatures on day five. And then the animals, including people, on day six. And what we end up with uh, is something a bit like this. Three days which take us from something formless to something formed. And three days which take us from a world which is empty to one which is filled and teeming with life. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And we'll return to that particular theme in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, We'll also come back to the human beings uh, a little bit more next week. Uh, We stopped at verse 25 today and we'll pick up the story in verse 26 next time. Just as a taster though, I think it is interesting to note that these two tasks that God carries out, forming and filling, are pretty much exactly the two tasks that he gives to the first human beings as well. There, in verse 28. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So they're in the other order, and then he says, subdue and rule the earth, Uh, organize it, uh, and give it form. So that when we ask, what does it mean to be human and made in God's image? Well, one of the first things to say is, it's about doing the kind of work that God himself does. God created everything. His purposes are to form and to fill, and what he makes is good. Uh, now you will have noticed by now that this has turned out not to be a sermon about how God created everything or how old uh, the earth is. Um, you know, Did it happen in six literal days a few thousand years ago? Or is this an account of something which actually happened over a much longer period of time? Now I'm well aware of course that Christians take different views on this. Um, I've got views on it too. Um, But I want to say this is not the main issue that was driving Moses, who is the source of these chapters in Genesis. Uh, It wasn't driving the people of ancient Israel. They weren't primarily thinking how they could square uh, dinosaurs and fossils and carbon dating with what is said in Scripture. Now, I don't want to say that these are unimportant questions about science and Christianity for us to ask. Uh, They're very important for us to wrestle with. And I would be very glad to have a conversation with anyone who would like to pick this up a little bit more. Uh, now that the pub gardens are open and we can meet in one another's gardens, it's much easier to do that. And I want to say that my starting point for that would be to recognize that all truth is God's truth. And there's nothing to fear here. Uh, Research science is a God-given task to study and understand the world that he has made. He reveals himself as we study his world And he reveals himself as we study his word. And the truth that he reveals across all of these things is not contradictory. And to the extent that we may find things which appear contradictory, then we need to wrestle with those because the problem is with us and not with him. But uh, the last thing I want to say about God uh, hits on another issue, which was much more what those early people that he made were concerned about and interested in. And it is the question of worship. God is to be worshipped. See, there were many creation stories in the ancient world. Uh, Every culture had its own creation myth, a story to explain why things were as they were. And they often involved a multitude of gods, uh, often battling with one another. There were local gods, there were gods of the sea and the sky, gods of wood and stone, star gods, uh, and sky gods, all kinds of different gods. But Moses met the God who created all of these things. You can read about it in the early chapters of the book of Exodus. And the message of Genesis 1 is there is a, ch- a kind of challenge to all those other stories of how creation took place. Uh, it says basically, you know, those stars you worship, those sea monsters you're afraid of, those chunks of wood and stone That you have constructed. What are you doing? Don't worship them. Why would you want to do that? No, worship the one who made them, who made all of them, just by speaking. Let there be light, and there was light. Let let the waters be gathered into one place, and it was so. Worship the one who has power like that. Now, this may seem like a bit of a message for an ancient world, which has less to do with us today. I want to say it's absolutely a message for us today. I know that you know, we live in a culture that in some ways looks down on ancient cultures uh, and, uh, and, and thinks that they didn't know much stuff. And of course, it's true, isn't it? There are, there are s- certain things, how to make vaccines, other scientific things that we've come to understand more of over the years. But you know what? Actually, there are many people who do still think that their lives are guided by the stars. And even for those who have no interest or belief in astrology, uh, people still make idols out of stuff. Maybe not little wooden statues to worship, maybe not actually worshipping the stars and the sun in that form, but idols of finances or property. Uh, Idols of, of image, of the human body, whether our own or other people's. Idols about gathering what we can. Which is all just a modern version of worshipping what's been created rather than the one who made it all. People have always done this. In some ways, it's not surprising because Genesis 1 tells us that it's all good. And the temptation is therefore to make it even better in our minds and worship it. Genesis 1, it teaches us that as Christians we're not supposed to reject material things. We're not supposed to imagine that we're trying to escape this physical world to get to heaven on a cloud or anything like that. Uh, It tells us that God is a materialist. He creates a physical universe and he says this is good. And it reminds us that we look forward to the coming of a new heavens and a new earth which will be a physical world where we are with God. The Lord Jesus Christ will be there and it will be material and physical. Nevertheless, the danger of recognizing that something is good is that we may begin to worship it. It's always been the danger, instead of worshiping the God who made it. And that is what Genesis 1 challenges. Uh, And it reminds us that as Christians, whenever we see something beautiful in creation, whether it's me standing on a hillside or whether you're on a beach looking at a sunset, uh, or you're in the garden enjoying the blooms, whatever it might be, We shouldn't idolize that beautiful thing because what we can say is I know the artist who made this, who created it. Praise the Lord. So Genesis 1 gives us a big view of a great God and of the goodness of what he has made. And so as I close, let me just acknowledge once again that we are still left therefore with that big question which I mentioned at the beginning. It's an important question. It's the question, okay, so what is wrong? What is wrong with our world if God made it like that? You know, when we read Genesis 1 and and we look around and see the pain of the virus and the the threat of climate change and and the, the, the racism and the corruption and all that is wrong in the world, we have to ask that question. What has happened? And it's a question we'll come back to repeatedly over the next few weeks. But in this chapter... God is showing us the world as it should be. and Why is he doing that? Well, at least in part, it is to make us sad and to make us angry. That so often it doesn't look like that. Uh, He wants to stir in us a, a sense of dissatisfaction with the way things are. He wants to stir up a desire to do something about what is not right. And he wants to give us a kind of aching a longing for how things will one day be when he returns to set all things right. For a world that is fruitful and ordered instead of chaotic and full of death. Producing life, not making species extinct. So we should be asking, what is going on? And we'll come back to that. But first of all, let us also continue to experience the joy of the reminder that We worship a God who is worth worshipping because he has made all that there is, that he is eternal, he is loving, he is powerful, and he is good. And Genesis 1 gives us hope that as the God of creation, he is also the God of new creation. Amen.